0: Pastor Justin, that was great. A beautiful welcome and great prayer. I feel like we just about finished the seminar just <laughs> with the prayer. It was so powerful. Oh, hi, everyone. This is so lovely that you've come out on a Saturday afternoon, and um, um, so much cuteness in the room.) <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Um, this is a real joy and like um, Pastor Justin said, um, we haven't been here for the last five years so it's really fantastic to see what's happening here in the church and the renovations and the fact that you own this building and you know the impact that you'll have in this community is really stunning. So thanks for being here and taking the time out and our prayer is that hopefully maybe there's just one thing today that will capture your heart, that could create... different way of um looking at life in 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 your marriage in raising kids um i'll start with just telling just a little bit of our story and and set the set the package right here so so we've been married this year um for 42 years and um it just It's just been amazing. I mean, you know, I don't want to say that it's just been amazing so that you're going, oh, well, mine's not – my (laughs) marriage isn't amazing. It's had its challenges, of course, but um, hey. Um, But we're just 42 years, and I always feel like it's just not long enough. So it's like I don't want it – I don't want it to finish yet, so we've got a long way to go, right, babe. <laughs> we've got three kids, three grandkids, Our son Josh, he turns 40 this year, so it's like it's a bit um, unbelievable to us that we've got a 40-year-old child. <laughs> um, it's just getting him through his what stage of parenting are we up to with him? No. <laughs> Um, He's married to Georgie. They live in New York. They run C3NYC and um, they've got two little boys, Brooks and Zeph. And then we have our middle daughter, Amy, and she's uh, 30... They're 20 months apart, so if he's 40 this year, that makes her 38 this year. And um, she's married uh, to Glenn and they they also live in New York. They have two little boys. Navy and Finn, and Finn is turning two tomorrow, so it's exciting. And so we have four grandsons in New York, and of course, you know, through COVID, we just, you know, missing, missing the cuddles and kicking the soccer ball and tackle football and all that sort of stuff, but eventually that will we'll get back to them. Um, and then in Sydney, we have our youngest daughter, Sasha, and she's married to Nathan White. Many of you might know uh, Steve and Deb White. They, they, um, That's Nathan's parents. So that, those two are two PKs marrying each other. So maybe they should come and do the marriage and family <laughs> seminar. <laughs> and they've got three little girls, Sailor, Oak and Clay. And, um, Just, just beautiful, so we're very blessed, very thankful, seven beautiful grandkids, three kids and and a marriage and it's honestly such a privilege to even be able to, you know, sort of speak about this. I think my greatest role in life has been being a wife and a mother. I've loved that, and um, and then this part of it—it's like I'm sure there's someone else that wants to do this part, you know. Cause I'll just be happy being <laughs> that. But you know, God has opened up doors for us to just talk about this. And what I'd like to say just from the get-go is that that's that's our sort of our family structure, family what what it is today. But there's no perfect family, and there's no perfect marriage. And so just want to just take the pressure down. I think we're all just doing the best that we can possibly do in the, in the time and the situation that we're in. And if you just come into it with just a desire, obviously, that it would be the best it could possibly be. I think we'll all, we'll all make progress and, and it'll be more about the beauty of your life and what people see because you've taken that terrible pressure and burden off your life to be somewhat perfect, and nobody is. So Mark and I developed a, um, a course um, called Express, and it was really a course to train church planters and people that were coming into the ministry. And in that, in that um, training session, I, I, I would do this session on marriage and family. And so I've just broken it into like five key thoughts around um, marriage best practices and uh, so we'll just kick off and then Mark will be up after me to do um, his session and then we'll do Q&A if that's okay so maybe grab the questions and let's go. So I just, I, I, I believe that marriage is a dream within a dream within a dream and what I mean by that is that there's a, a boy meets a girl and he has a dream in his heart, she has a dream But there's also God's dream as they come together. And so it's this threefold strand of of our marriage life. And God is right in the centre of that. And I can tell that today just in the room. So um, His Needs, Her Needs is a book that you might want to get a hold of. It's uh, looking at the needs of each husband and wife. But I'll just read this little quote from it. It was... In 1916, I was about to witness something that few expected, the beginning of the end of the traditional nuclear family in America. Evidence of the disaster accumulated over the next 20 years. The divorce rate climbed from about 10% to 50%, and the percentage of single adults would go from 6.5% to 20%. While the divorce rate finally stabilised at 45% in 1980, the percentage of single adults has continued to increase right up to the present. It's currently 50% and climbing because fewer and fewer people are willing to commit themselves to one partner for life. Um, We all know that, even without reading that, we're sitting here today knowing that the world is on this trajectory and that relationships are under fire you know, from within and from without. The pressures are huge. And so just to sort of put this into your thinking that um, you're going to have to fight for your marriage. You're going to have to fight for your family. And it's, it isn't a walk in the park, um, but I tell you, it's a fight worth fighting for so that you can have a story and a testimony that can impact people around you. And it won't be a perfect story, but but God will put you amongst people where your story is going to have an incredible impact. And maybe you have faced divorce, and maybe you have faced a loss here today. God is a good God, and the story, he always makes the story better when he's right in the middle of it. Um, there was a, a leader that said the first test um, in anything in life, in, in our leadership, whatever you're doing here in, in the life of this church, is the test of family and it's a, it's a test that has to be passed before we move on to other tests. The thing is, it's, it's so devalued because of those stats I just read before, so people just think it doesn't really matter, but you're here today because it does matter to you, so thank you. Uh, Marriage. So the three A's of marriage, just to kick off, um, the first one is attitude. It's like, what's your attitude towards marriage? And I think that attitude ultimately has to be that we want it to work. Ultimately, that's our coming into it. Nobody comes into a marriage going, really hope this (laughs) fails, you know. (laughs) So nobody's in the situation wanting it to fail. So we want it to work. And I think that part is where the fight comes in. The second A is action, which is you working at it. And so I I know, I remember when Mark and I were first married, and uh, we just began to, it wasn't a lot, like churches weren't, didn't do this sort of stuff. I don't know why. It was about other things, but it was never about how to raise kids or how to have a strong, healthy marriage. It was about other things. Um, and so we didn't hear a lot about it. And we were a young, I was 19 when I got married to Mark. He was 22. And so we were so hungry to know how to do this. Like, what do we do? Like, we love each other, but, you know, that's, that, that's good for a day. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got to like, like, how do we do this? You know, so because there wasn't seminars and there wasn't stuff, we started to look for books and things, and so we read a lot. And we just made sure in that those early years, not by any sort of heavy-handed um, thing. We just—it was very organic. And we would, we would read, we'd read the scriptures, but then we would talk. We talked so much. Um, or maybe I talked so much and Mark listened, I don't know. (laughs) But we did, we talked a lot. It's like, what do you think about that? What do I feel about that? And we really worked it out so that we were on the same page. And that's the working at it part. Like, work at it so that you're coming at your marriage on the same page, you know? Um, And then the third A is accountability. So this one's tough, but it's it's accountability is about me being able to recognise that actually I have to change. So if we come into this thing and we're sitting here today and we're thinking, I'm fine, but you know, she needs to change or, you know, she's feeling fine but he needs to change. It's like if we can all own it and be accountable in this situation and go, you know what, I actually There's a few things I've got to adjust in my life and be willing to do that. And it's going to take humility and that might need to ask the Holy Spirit (laughs) to help with that. (laughs) So um, some things that we've observed over the years um, is that instead of being on that same page, that you what happens is we get in, into, into the life of the marriage and all of a sudden there's all sorts of things that can come up, pressures and conflict. And instead of being in the trenches together fighting on the same team with the guns pointing out at you know the enemy that's coming against your life or the misunderstanding or whatever, we turn the guns really quickly on each other. And, you know, your best friend in your life, suddenly you're turning around and, and shooting at them. So let's, let's just determine in our hearts that we know that there'll be conflict. But in the times of conflict, let's put the guns out that way and not toward each other. This <laughs> has got the picture. Okay, so the first point here, the first um, best practice um, that I have for our marriages is yeah, cooked. Loving and leading and respect. Loving, leading and respect. Um, Let me just speak from the woman's point of view for this moment. What do women want? Um, Did anyone see the movie? (laughs) What do women want? Well, (laughs) it's a mystery. (laughs) You're doing great. (laughs) This this week what they want is... (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay so just basing it out of scripture and um, that's always the place to base it right she basically wants to be led and to be loved and it's kind of tricky in today's sort of vibe for even the word for her for me to even say that today it feels kind of scary right because there's just it's not the vibe out there. It's like, I don't need anyone to lead me, you know, and I'm not going to be dominated by anyone. But the point here is that if if you are loved, if you are loved, there won't be domination in love. And you won't be fearful in it because perfect love casts out fear. And when you're inviting God into your marriage and the Holy Spirit into your marriage, then that that love that will turn Travel into your relationship and create that security where, you know, um, we can touch on the word submission in a a minute. Pretty quickly actually, I'll get there. But I just love the movie um, in Notting Hill where Julia Roberts is standing in front of Hugh Grant. This is to do with what she wants. And she's famous and she's got everything coming at her. She's got wealth, she's got fame, she's got the next Hollywood movie part and all of that. But she's not loved, really. And because she's in a space of fame, she doesn't know who really loves her or likes her or whatever. And so the famous line, she says to Hugh Grant, who looks quite bewildered, if you've seen the movie... The look on his face when she says this is hilarious, but anyway, had to be there. Um, She says, "Um, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love me. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Just just my little movie moment there. (laughs) Okay. I do recall many, many years ago Chris Pringle in one of our ministers' conferences doing a session um, on our relationships in the ministry, actually, and she uh, read out Psalm 23 and encouraged us literally to put our husband's name. <laughs> I don't know. It's like if there's any lightning bolts, but where where it says the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, in this context of marriage, she was saying to put our husband's name in that space. And that that would almost give him a job description and also something that we could anticipate or expect from husbands. And in the message um, version, this flicking down here, I'll read it over, over us today. You know, God is my shepherd. I don't need a thing. You've bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid. When you walk by my side, your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. That's... Psalm 23 in the message version, um, it's, a, it's really, this is really the Lord to us, but um, it's beautiful, right? Just to think that this could be the framework of our lives that, I don't know, when I read that, I just feel the peace of God and I feel like I find my true north. And I feel a sense of God's presence on us today. Like God wants to anoint your marriages. God wants to anoint your family. He wants to anoint your kids. And there's um, great peace in that, in that knowledge. So out of Ephesians chapter 5 and 20, verse 25, um, it says... There's some tough, tough language in here that we today are still wrestling with. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Have I still got the wives on deck? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> it's not my words. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. This is where the point comes from: is that what women want is they want to be loved. Because God has designed this. This is not our own construction. This is how he has created it. Love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'll say. <laughs> but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife. Now here's what men want. And the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so we're talking about a mutual submission here. It's, it's a two-way thing. And whilst we've been um, assaulted and these kind this kind of language has been torn down and we've been we've seen the abuse of that and you know and that's tragic but if we can get if we could re- recapture god's heart for us that we would be unified in our marriages loving and respecting one another mutually submissive to each other then um I think we'll see a a healthier society you know and we've all seen the the damage and the and the ravages of 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 what has happened with marriages and therefore what has happened with kids and perhaps you are sitting here today and you are the product of a broken home a situation and there's there's a, a journey of healing that has to come to our lives in that and it matters to god and i pray that there is healing in this room today for wherever we're at. Okay. Homer from the ninth century said, there is nothing more admirable than two people who see eye to eye, keeping house as man and wife, confounding their enemies and delighting their friends. It's kind of cool. Ninth century. Um, Submission is all about putting the needs of other members of your family ahead of your own. That's the ultimate thing, I think, in submission, that I submit my life in such a way as, and that's why I say being a wife and being a mum for me has been a favourite, my favourite thing to be. And I've done all my growing and my learning and my discovery in that place. And I guess that in seasons in my life, I felt like I've gone through like an identity crisis wrestling with this going well what am I because when you meet someone you don't say well (laughs) what do you do well I'm a wife (laughs) you know it's like and it's really like people go that's awesome (laughs) you know I've got four degrees and I've (laughs) you know it's this where we place value in society and so This is really important that we, the church, we in this context can place value on the fact that someone is doing a really great job as a mum today, that someone has just cared for that child and fed that child and clothed that child because the alternative to that is just horrible, that that child isn't loved, isn't clothed, isn't fed and given the best possible chance in life. And so this is a high calling And I want to place value back on it today because if you've spent a whole day at home with three little kids, I know you're feeling like you're going crazy, (laughs) but you're a hero, you're a champion and it's valued. So we're putting, words for me like yielding and surrender have been really big words in in my Christian life. To just yield to God, to, to, to find a peace in the place that he's positioned me and it, and and sometimes i'm finding that in a in a like a wartime setting if you know what i mean it's like it's tough there's challenges there's financial pressures there's issues and but to sort of keep yielding your heart and to not freak out and lose it and walk away so it's a yielding and if both husband and wife can carry that kind of i don't know just that sense of okay, I'm going to go to that place, I'm going to bring it before the Lord and I'm going to surrender to God and let the peace of God fill our home. So our culture doesn't place a very high value on others. It's all about self. This is where I think we run into lots of problems. Selfishness and misplaced priorities and exhaustion will keep us from nurturing our own submissive hearts and we have nothing left to give to the people that we most love. And it's what happens to the people that we most love, our husband, our wife, our kids, our close friends and colleagues, we have a, we have a demand on them as opposed to an energy and a love for them. And we expect them to be all right. You know, you'll have to be all right but maybe they're not. And so, um, yeah. The, mu- the, the benefits immediately when we read through Ephesians to, to 5 to both the wife and the husband is this, that um, he feels respected, she feels loved, and both are looking for the best in each other and looking out for each other. Okay, that was that was point one, and it's a very big sort of theological discussion. But that's just the overview: loving, leading, and respecting. Um, the second, the second best practice that I think is really great to keep in your marriage is memories. I've called it memories and dreaming. I mean, we're here right now, but all of us have got a story in terms of how we got here today. You have a um, a story of how you met your met your wife or met your husband and and I I just think it's a really valuable exercise to take a trip down memory lane every so often and recall what brought you together and celebrate those things that celebrate your story together. I mean when you when you next go out on that dinner date, you know, like maybe talk about it, bring it up again. And maybe you'd be surprised at the other person's memory or recollection of that and how it all (laughs) (laughs) happened. Or lack of. (laughs) What's your story? I mean, I think, write it down. What's your story? What brought you together? Um, What did you talk about in those early days together? Because somewhere in the talk was the dream. And I like to say the memories are important, and I know we have a sort of a don't look back thing in Christianity, and I get that, but I think there are very valuable things f- in, our, in our story from the past. And sometimes it can just reignite your heart. If your heart's waning toward that person, if you can go back and visit just some of those early days and let that spark come back into your heart, it could happen. Um, And then I think dream together. Like Mark and I are empty nesters. Anyone else empty nesters here today? Yes. We're empty nesters and we are, you know, in transition, Um, big transitions happening at Oxford Falls for us. There's lots of change. Who loves change? (laughs) Said nobody. (laughs) And it's challenging and it's like, oh, I just feel like, oh, babe, we're back I just feel like we're sort of stepping out of the boat again and here we go again, you know, and what's it going to be like? But if you're dreaming together and you're thinking and looking into that future and you just begin to declare over that future just what you're seeing, what you're thinking, what you're dreaming. I remember when our kids were um, teenagers. We did this one thing It was really interesting. We knew that they would were, were going to be meeting, you know, their partners soon. and well, you know, we were praying that that would happen and it has happened, but we went and got a bigger dining table to accommodate all the extra people that would be coming into our world. And it was just the dream. It was like we dreamt. We saw our kids meeting their partners and then we saw our grandkids and, and it was like we kept, we just saw that in in that time and I think this is important because otherwise you start to look to other things. But you want to go into that future together, right? So dream together. What does it look like? Well, um, yeah, we've got a smaller dining table now. (laughs) It's like they're overseas and (laughs) stuff like that. And you start to sort of think, like, would we move into an apartment, a smaller thing? (laughs) Anyway, not there yet. All right. I missed the joke. Did I miss the joke? (laughs) Anyway, so you get the point. So just keep dreaming together and maybe spark the spark the flame again by just revisiting your early days together. Keep the dream alive. Talk it talk it. Write it down, draw it, whatever. The third thing is time out, rest recreation and the sexy side of life. Now here's the thing. <laughs> life is hectic, right? And this is the, this is crazy because pretty much every person that you could meet going anywhere, if you ask them how they are, the answer is, I'm busy. Everyone's busy. I've just finished reading this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, right? You love it? Such a good book by John Mark Comer and we're just, we're just, we're just, gone nuts you know and I think God didn't give us COVID but he uses all things for good and (laughs) I think he might have slowed us all down a bit and that's a good thing and so take some time out and rest and recreate and you know don't be too, you know, like, because what's happening is we're too tired for uh, the enjoyment of life together to, to create that space. So raising a family, running a church with little kids, <laughs> running a department, working a couple of jobs to make, make ends meet, the pressures of life are upon us and um, One physician said this, he was quoted as saying, couples are just too tired to make sex a priority anymore. And it's true, like honestly, it's true. It's like the tiredness factor has just, it's like a big wet blanket that's (laughs) come over the top of us. (laughs) Everyone's exhausted. And so you have to look after your physical life, it's really important. Busy parents sometimes don't have the time or energy to even instruct or do the... The discipline stuff that you need to do in raising kids, you're just too tired to even... It's like, I don't even want to know about it. (laughs) So so we cut out. But our kids are dependent upon us, remaining engaged and energised enough to raise them. (laughs) Distracted husbands sometimes forget to do the little things and the big things to express the love that I was talking about. And love has an expression... It's not just I love you, but love, love is action. And if we're so distracted and we're so busy, we just forget. And that's that thing where I was saying before. Then we just are, we, we are requiring too much of each other. We've forgotten to just slow down and be kind and thoughtful. Um, exhausted wives sometimes make family decisions without any input from husbands. She's trying to manage a household and can't even get his attention. Um, The kids, the whole phone thing is like, it's crazy. We've been watching, as everyone in this room has, um, the amount of time that we're in this. And the kids are sitting there wanting to tell you about their day and we're going, yep, mm -hmm, got it, but we're not connected to them and maybe Mark will um, touch on that sort of distracted life that we're living. We're not present anymore. And it might be good just to sort of cut away from that, to sort of have a healthy marriage and a healthy family life again. When we were raising our kids, we really feel for young parents today because we did not have to raise our kids in this digital space. When we planted the church in New York, um, we just had the phone on the wall and that was it. (laughs) (laughs) And and we hardly ever used it because it was $7 a minute to phone home. And I was trying to put food on the table as a church planter, so... You know that was that was that. But you know, if you've if you've got young kids here, you, you would have noticed if you're ever on the phone. And this happened to me many times. If that phone rang on the wall and you had to go to the wall and stay by the wall and talk, the kids knew it straight away, and it would be like havoc in two and a half seconds because they knew that you didn't your attention wasn't on them. It's classic, isn't it? It's like they know straight away. So. Okay, so, and just honestly remember to have fun. Um, it, it's almost like I, I put this in it as a point and you almost want to sort of take it out, like telling people to have fun. <laughs> it's like a reminder to have fun. Like like e- even if you have to schedule it in, like right now we're having fun. <laughs> and then you ask, are we having fun yet? <laughs> so make sure you plan the family holiday make sure and take everybody with you (laughs) um the killers of like love and just joy in a family life is is criticism and and negativity and stuff and so I think we've got to put up a big sort of you know no-go zone into those areas and Mark and I just even around the, around the table with the kids which was sacrosanct for us, the table, coming together for a meal, um, you know, I mean look, there's always something crappy going on in our life, there's someone that we're not really getting on with maybe at work or at church or whatever. But we determined in our heart that we just didn't want our kids carrying secondhand fence through life because of what we were discussing in front of them at the table or even in their ear I-, I mean you know it's it's quite damaging and we've watched kids exit the house of god and you can almost trace it back to something way back here where mum and dad didn't handle the situation well and those kids picked that up And they can't really recover from it. And what happens is it's not so much about the church then, it is a disconnect from God. And so we'd always determined in our heart, you know, like, look, it's not going to be perfect, nothing in life is, but what we don't want to do is we don't want to infect our kids' hearts with negativity and criticism and um, dislodge them from a journey of discovering Christ. We wanted to keep them on that track, so stop talking about what's wrong all the time and um, locate some good stuff. Talk about that. Be spontaneous, be creative, focus on your marriage by getting some time together. Um, on our day off, Mark and I often, um, you know, we'll go for a long walk together and we'll talk and sometimes we don't talk. It's just, you know, you just find that little rhythm together. So... Um, Rick Warren has a couple of things just in the personal care space I'll just share with you here. To refuel, and everyone needs to refuel, um, divert daily. Do something that's fun. Just at some point every day, seven days a week, just one thing that just sparks joy (laughs) in your life. Just one thing. Withdraw weekly, so you should have at least a day off a week. You have to have Time out, a day off, and then annually um, abandon annually, which is take a couple of weeks off, just let so it all float away from you, and climb a mountain, swim an ocean, whatever it is that you love to do. But remind yourself to to do that. Book it in. When we when we were planning the church in New York, it was a shock to us actually because the whole sort of time off situation over there was very different to here. We're very blessed in Australia, you know, like four weeks holiday and all that sort of stuff. But over there, we were meeting people that were coming into the church and they were telling us, almost like a badge of honour, that they hadn't had a holiday for 10 years, you know. And, And people were wrecked. They really were wrecked. So this is not God's plan for us, you know. He had a Sabbath, so we can too. Okay, so... The fourth thing, I'll just go really fast here, is like can we actually coexist and <laughs> as husbands and wives, as male and females? And okay, yes we can, but it doesn't really seem like we can, right? Because we've got lots and lots of questions about how on earth does this work? Uh, We've got the Venetians and we've got the Martians, so, and then Mark's little statement is, and the kids are from Pluto. Uh, so we're all coming from different planets here, and somehow God is asking us to in, in that diversity to, to celebrate it. And um, you're going to hit things in marriage life, and you've already hit them, I know that for sure, where your background differences are creating some kind of challenge for you right now. Um, age, race, socio-economic differences, like we've all come from a different space and these are the sorts of things that can produce conflict in our marriages different education, you know, private school, public school, like things that are different about us which were fine when we were in the courtship phase. We, we didn't see any of that stuff. We didn't even care about it. We're so madly, deeply in love but now suddenly we're like living with each other every day and those little, I call them like invisible differences that can create... A sort of a funny kind of vibe in your relationship. Again, I think talk it out, and instead of it being problem, celebrate the diversity and what that brings into the relationship. Anyway, so you've got personality differences too. Did anyone <laughs> notice? <laughs> uh, it's so funny because um, when I'm out and about and in a sort of a, a like a public space, people people can often say, "Oh, I think Bernie's." Um, Sanguine? I am so not sanguine. I, I, I'm more an introvert and I get, I get energy from being more on my own. Anyone, anyone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so my life of meetings and, and just all of that, I really have to make sure that at certain points that I just, I love it all and I get into it, but my energy is re- resurrected in the quiet, and in the, in the aloneness and you might be married to the absolute opposite <laughs> who gets all their energy from just the next gathering, the next party, the next this um, and so just, just all I can say is you're not going to change that person's personality so what are you going to do So you have to begin to have the conversations around that and be mindful of what energises the person. And that's where the loving comes in, where it's like, I want that for Mark. I want that thing for him more than I want that for me. So if we're both coming at it from that place, then there will be an ease around it. Um, Anyway, that's enough on that sort of thing, but... uh, and then, of course, uh, I'm just scrolling because I know the minutes are going. Um, okay, and then, Mark, you're going to, like, touch on sort of parenting stuff, right, and, and pick up any of the gaps that I've just crazily missed out here. But, okay, and then just finally, just, just finally, like, your home is so important. It could be a shoebox in the middle of the road, <laughs> or it could be a mansion, but it is so important that space that that 's your space, and you are ridiculously in charge of that space, so make it look like what you want it to look like, make it feel like what you want it to feel like you 're not just we 're not just like not meant to enjoy those space you 're going to spend a lot of your life in that bed that you 're sleeping in, so Invest in a good mattress. (laughs) It's a good thing. Um, Beautiful linen, the, the, the look and feel of your home. And if it's just overwhelmingly just driving you crazy, then just tools down, stand back from it and go, what could we do here? What do we need to do? Like We were talking about that on the plane up because Mark's getting in. Just, we've got a lot more to get done in the writing space as we're in this transition. And we're like, right, we need to go to work on the office. So <laughs> we're on the plane trip up here and we're talking about tidying, pulling everything out. You know, like whats a face does, you know, pull, um, sparks joy, um, Maricon. Um, I tried that too, actually. (laughs) It was quite good, just to put everything in the middle of the room and, you know, she has the gratitude thing for it and stuff, but it's just decluttering. Our lives are so full of stuff we can't even think straight and it's messing with you and your bedroom's got TVs and, and, and things and everything and no wonder there's no rest and peace in that space. So all the spaces that should be calming and beautiful and like a sanctuary... Make that happen for your life. It's worth it, creating an atmosphere at home. And I tell you what, when that atmosphere, you create atmosphere through lots of things, through lighting, through what's in the place, how you set the chairs out. All that sort of stuff. But um, prayer creates an atmosphere in your home. And so, and this is not just like, oh, dad's responsibility to pray. It's like all of our responsibility to pray and to just invite the presence of God into your home and take time to get that atmosphere right in your home. Not in a heavy handed way like kids, you know? Right. <laughs> Prayer meeting, you know, it's like they will leave home. I'm just telling you, <laughs> quickly. If you want them to go, maybe do it. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, that's just a, that's just a, for us. It's always been a quiet thing. It's been a, it's like up early in the morning before the kids were up. Um, more mark in that space. Me during the day when when what, when the baby would go down or whatever for a, for a nap, and just doesn't have to be like hours of pulling down the power of God into your house. It's just just asking the Holy Spirit to be in your home, to be in each other's relationships. And there'd be different times during the day that i just feel like, oh, I just need to pray for Amy, you know, and just to be sensitive to just the needs of, of everybody in that little family unit and to pray. The atmosphere, it just... It shouldn't be a pressured atmosphere. Just release the pressure out of your homes. Now you're under financial pressure. There's relational pressure, understand it, but to the best of our ability, let's try and keep the pressure down so that coming into home after a long day at work or a long day at school or university or whatever, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a space that everyone wants to come to. I had a, that was part of the dream I had. I wanted my kids to love home, to want to be there. And so it included letting all the friends come too and we'd have our backyard, you know, when you know, like full of surfboards and I'd think, Oh, there won't be anything left in the fridge, I'm sure of it. (laughs) We'll be back to the shops. But I was happy because I wanted them there than anywhere else, you know, up somewhere else, I don't know. The atmosphere of your home is is created also by acceptance an affection and attention that you give to each other in that home and I think Mark will go into that and I had a revelation as a young mum coming into the ministry and just trying to figure what that looked like and how to do it and I watched a lot of pastor's kids like this was the real thing for me I just did not want my kids to not love God and so that was a real prayer. Like I want them to find you. I want them to love you. And I didn't want to be a problem with that in terms of I was too distracted or I was too something else. So I had to look at my own life and I got this like revelation as I watched that, um, you know, in the ministry it can take up all of your time. Like these guys can attest to it. You never really stop ministering you like you go home from church but you're still things are happening but um I got this revelation about our family was my first flock yes there were people that God had entrusted into our care and they were the that's the flock of God and I love God's people but my first flock were my kids they were my kids and I wanted them to always feel like no matter what happened, no matter what was going on for us or what demands were on our life, they were our first priority. And so then they were never, we didn't see them as a hindrance to the ministry. Oh, these kids, they're just so in the way of all the call of God on our life. You know, they were the call of God on our life, right? Yes. And now people talk to us about family life because we didn't, we didn't treat them like... They were second-rate citizens. They were our first thing, and so our dinner times, our family time, our holidays, our you know celebrating all the special days—they were God's gift to us, and so it's a, it's a, it was a joy. And so maybe today could be a reprioritizing some things in your life. Each other. And your kids, and remember, if they're your first flock, then the, the the relationship that you've got to nurture and nourish and look after the most, because um, what happens in a lot of relationships is when the kids grow up, and then you know you you hear these stories of like the parents are getting divorced, and it's like why they've made it this far, <laughs> you know, it's like forty years, what are you doing? And I get there's reasons that sometimes that might be the right thing in a situation of abuse or whatever. But basically, a lot of it is because they look at each other and go, who are you? (laughs) It's like because you have to keep this as the main thing. Nurture it, look after it, um, build it, read, learn, study, whatever. And then the first flock, the little kiddies, which you can hear over there. It's like suddenly my nana ears are going, oh, hang on, I'm just going over to see. It's not one of mine, it's all right. Thanks, guys. Bless you.